0: Hello, superstars. Welcome to the very first episode in our brand new Sorta Spicy series. Now, this is a series that we have been thinking about and planning for a while now. We wanted to kind of revive the same idea, the same vibe that we had a long time ago when we did the Sorta Taboo series here in the Patreon feed just for you superstars. So we kind of wanted to go back to that idea of what do we want to share with the superstars that we would never talk about on our main Friday shows? Because you guys know, I mean, we, we do, we go some deep places on the Friday show, but there are some things that you just don't feel personally comfortable telling thousands and thousands of people. So here we are with our inner circle, our superstar group. And we want to tell you, first of all, before we get into the Sort of Spicy series, number one, thank you. So much for your support of Sorta Awesome. I know I say this all the time, but truly, you guys are the backbone of our mission and what we're doing in the world. And, you know, with quarantine and all the changes that 2020 has brought, we know that there are so many tough choices to make when it comes to things like money and financial support and all of those things. And we totally, totally appreciate so much on the deepest of levels that you all continue to show up for sort of awesome for our mission and our message to the world around us. So today we are kicking off this sort of spicy series and I could not be more thrilled. I just could not possibly be more excited about this first episode because this is something that I can kind of Hoping we could cover at some point with you, Superstar Awesome. So, I'm going to welcome to this very first episode my sister, you know her and lovers, sort of awesome regular, Emily Harris. Hi, Emily. Hi, thanks for having me on again. How are you feeling about being the first person up in these sort of spicy series? I feel like it's a lot of pressure. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure no pressure at all. All love, all awesomeness all the way around. So we're going to do this similar in format to our sort of awesome episode. So it's like you get a little bit more sort of awesome in your superstar feed. But again, we're going to some deeper places. Now, I know we titled the series sort of spicy and we are going to cover some spicy topics in terms of a little bit racy, a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit, you know, just like Some of the topics that you're like, oh my, I can't believe we're talking about this like true girlfriend chat, but not all of them are going to be like racy topics. In fact, today's topic is going to be Emily sharing a part of her life that she very much keeps pretty discreet and is very discerning about who she shares this with. So we're going to do that. We're also going to have like just like a little mini awesome of the week because you guys, who doesn't need more awesome in their life right now? I know I do for sure. Absolutely. Today, Emily is going to be sharing her story of being in recovery. You all in the Superstars Facebook group group know that this past June, I posted in there that we were celebrating Emily's five-year sobriety mark. Yes, you were showing me the five.
1: I thought you were telling me like, <laughs> stop. No, you can't say that. <laughs> no, I was holding up five fingers.
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. Five years of sobriety. I know some of you may have had some curiosities about Emily's story with recovery and being in a 12-step program. So we are going to cover all of that here in just a few minutes, but first we're going to do like a little mini awesome of the week. So Emily, tell me what's awesome in life right now for you.
1: All right. So my awesome of the week is actually something that you introduced to me not that long yes. ago. Yes. And they are called Archie's uh, Arch Support Flip flops.
0: Yes. Hey, hey, everybody! In case you didn't know, we're in our forties. All <laughs> right.
1: And the things we get excited about are arch support flip flops. Right. I okay. You and I had a full length over text conversation about our feet.
0: So what is complete your... with pictures?
1: Oh, complete yes. with pictures. Oh yes. yes. I was trying all of these home remedies and things that I was just thinking of because I cannot take off work right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like my, my left, uh, I'm sorry, my right foot was hurting so bad. And you were like, and I didn't even know, like you, you didn't know that I was having foot problems and vice versa. Like, what is your main foot ailment? Okay.
0: I have an actual, you guys, I've, I've, I've talked about my, my foot problem, my left leg problem. I've hinted at it in various ads, for things like our Theragun, which, believe me, that brings a lot of relief for sure. But I didn't know until recently when I was searching for some uh, walking shoes. Anyway, I was looking for some specific walking shoes that would help if you have arch problems. I have fallen arches, and I have, especially on my left side, for years. I, I In my Googling of this, looking for some shoes, I came across what I actually, like the official medical term for what I have. It's called posterior tibial tendon dysfunction. Okay. And it's basically where there is a tendon, uh, the tibial tendon, I guess, that does not provide enough support. And so then what happens is that the arch over time begins to fall, which I've had arch issues since I was a kid. Yes. But I have read that after you're, you turn 40, if you ever had problems with this, it literally was in the, several of the articles that I've come across are like people, you know, past the age of 40 tend to have these problems. I'm like, great, here we go. Awesome. I'm 43. Everything's the wheels yeah. are coming off. So We're it all begins. falling apart. Yes. But anyway, that's what I technically have. And I think you have something that's similar, but you have a, a little bit different foot pain than I have going on.
1: I do. So my pain is only in my heel. Now this was, this actually happened probably, I don't know, six, seven, maybe even eight years ago, I was having pain and it didn't last long at all. Uh, maybe a couple weeks. And so I just kind of like talked it up to maybe like a bone bruise or something. And the pain came back in full force. Um, here's a funny story <laughs> on my birthday. My birthday oh. is in August. Yes. I actually fell. <laughs> yes. I actually fell in front of two new team members. Thank you very much. It was at work. And it was very funny. But like I thought for the longest time that my foot was hurting because I fell like I had just hurt it or something. And then it had been well over a month. And I was like, okay, this is obviously not from the fall. And so like I said, it's really just pain in my heel. Yeah. And so I had remembered that it was probably um, plantar fasciitis. I don't know that I'm saying that right, but I think yeah, I am. That's don't one of know.
0: those. That's one of those terms I read so much, and I literally have no idea how to say it. So your guess right. is as good as mine. Right.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, and so it's basically it's another word for it is heel spurs. Yes. Um, and it has to do with um, the tendon that runs from right below your toes back to your heel. Like I don't mm-hmm. know that I think it's like lengthening it's either too long or too short or something like that. Yes. So, as you and I were having this long conversation about feet, you were like cuz I was like okay, do I need to buy some Birkenstocks cuz you know, Laura Tremaine, she swears by Birkenstocks on one of her most recent favorite things show. Um she talked about some Birkenstocks and so I was like, okay, do I need to make an investment? In some really good shoes. And you were like, well, there's these Archie's that are less than what, like $35? They're like
0: $35. And you were kind of looking because you needed something because you didn't want to necessarily wear them to school. You have like school shoes, but just being barefoot around your apartment, you were experiencing a lot of pain. And so I was thinking for just wearing, I mean, yes, Burks are great and they are a great investment to put into your shoe wardrobe for sure. But you were really just, you weren't even looking for something to wear all day, every day. you were looking for something that you could just wear- as you're shuffling around your apartment in the morning yes. or in the
1: evening. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And now I wear them literally anytime I get up, I have I have to have them on. Because if not, my foot will start hurting. Yeah. Now, something you don't know is that, so we are recording on a Saturday. The past three days, three school days this week, I've worn them to school. Oh, I have. Like, All that's right. how desperate I've been for relief. Yeah. And the first day, and y'all, like, they're <laughs> – they're flip-flops. Like they're not they're true flip-flops. They're not like super cute shoes. And we're not yeah. really supposed to wear flip-flops to school, but, um, I was desperate. It's quarantine. Yeah. I was so <laughs> desperate. So I wore them in the first day, Megan, that I wore them all day to school. I came home and I was like, my foot does not hurt even a little bit. And I just felt like, so I felt such relief, obviously in my foot, Yeah. But then, like, I just felt relief overall because I wasn't in pain.
0: Yes, exactly. And truly, these Archies, I mean, again, the price point, you cannot beat it. That's $35. And they look like your regular flip-flops, like, even from Target. They are, like, not – they do not look like orthotics or anything like that. So – I think that they're pretty fantastic, even if you don't have major foot problems, if you are you know much younger than Emily and I, and you're not really having foot problems, but you love a flip flop or if you do just like to have something to shuffle around the house in, I don't like to wear slippers i i I have foot heat issues, I don't like to wear slacks, and I don't yes. like to wear slippers, Yes, but I do you know need a little extra something around the house, so they're pretty right. great for that, they so. you really are. I am so glad that they have made such a difference in your life. Yes. And it's so funny because you chose something I recommended to you for your awesome of the week. And without really know, because I didn't know you were going to choose that until we started recording. I chose something for my awesome this week that you have been trying to get me to watch for years, literally. Okay. It's the TV series, Shameless. Shameless. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Emily, 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 Emily. Tell me all the things. First of all, you, your TV taste is much more like Kyle's than it's like mine. Okay. You and Kyle both love Breaking Bad. I can barely deal with one scene of Breaking Bad. And it's not because of, it, it, it is the violence, although I'm not, like I have sensitivities, but like TV violence is not usually that big of a deal. It's the psychological aspect of it that bothers me so much and is so tense. There's so much tension. Okay. So Shameless is another series that is grounded in reality. It's super gritty. (laughs) This whole time I've been like, no, I can't. It's about a dysfunctional family. Emily, you and I come from dysfunction, not, not on the Shameless level, but we come from a dysfunctional family of origin. And- I'm just like, it's too triggery. I cannot watch it. I cannot, I cannot, cannot. Okay. Well, during quarantine, Kyle ran out of things to watch on Netflix and he's like, I'm, I'm going to try, I'm try shameless. What's it's there's two seasons of it on Netflix. It'll keep me entertained for a while. I'm going to try it. Then I was yeah. like, why are you doing this to me? The first season I like would, I would put headbuds in or earbuds in at night. So I didn't mm-hmm. have to hear it. I would read a book. I would do anything. You were that turned off by it? It bothers like, me. It's so so anything that could really happen, anything that's reality based, yeah, and it's stressful. I right. hate it. Oh, I hate it because man. I think about how I think about like this. This stuff really happens in real life. Of course, this is the dramatized version of it. So anyway, okay. So if you do not know what Shameless is about, it's a dramedy, and it's about the Gallagher family that lives in uh, South Chicago. The Patriarch of the family, Frank Gallagher, is played by William H. Macy. I hate his character so much. Talk about violent. I, I I would physically punch that character if I could. I hate him. On a visceral level, William H. Macy is an incredibly, deeply talented actor. To he bring, really is. To bring all that he does. And you and I were talking about Shameless, and you're like, um, you're supposed to hate Frank Gallagher. Like, he's the worst. <laughs> I super, super, super hate him, but he has all of these kids. He's also a, uh, an alcoholic. Yes. He makes terrible choices with his life. He does not care about, he thinks, I mean, he's like involved with his kid's life, but the true driving heartbeat of the family is Fiona Gallagher, his oldest child played by Emmy Rossum. She also is an incredible actress and brings so much. Every person in this cast is such a gifted Actor, the writing is fantastic. By the end of the first season, I was like, damn it, I guess I'm watching Shameless now.
1: You got because, hooked.
0: Yeah, I got hooked because I care about those kids so much. I know. Now, you guys, this is a such a spicy, awesome of the week. I could never talk about it on the main show. I'm telling you, when I say gritty, this show is it is gritty. It is a. like it is raunchy. It's it raunchy. Is. There is so much sex in it, and yeah. I again, sex sex scenes are not my sensitivity. But you got yeah. it. I am not a prude. I promise you, <laughs> I am not a prude. But. The sex scenes in this are wild.
1: They are wild. Capital W-I-L-D wild. Yes. wild. Yes.
0: And there's a lot of sex and nudity in every episode. Okay. that You just have to understand that completely going in.
1: Yeah. And there's cussing. and Oh,
0: gosh. Yes. Yeah.
1: But if you think about it, like the stories are so. Yes. Evident, you that's know, like, it. And something else you forgot to mention, which I know you're going to agree with. Not only is Frank Gallagher an alcoholic, he is like a true con artist. Oh, yeah. Like, he's a con he, man. For sure. He totally tries to con everybody, even people yes. in his family. Like, yes. He loves money, even though he never wants to actually work for it. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah,
0: like every single choice, he always does the thing that's the most infuriating in every single situation. Oh yeah, absolutely. I hate absolutely. him so much.
1: <laughs> you you have you have a frown on your face right now, like well, you because I'm talking about him like he's an actual well, real life person. Here's why: <laughs> I pulled up the i i
0: gave it a quick goog so I could give it the details of the series. Which, by the way, it started in 2011. It's still running. Yes. They're going to they're filming and they're going to release the very last season, which is season 11, sometime in 20. 20- possibly 2022.
1: Okay. But I pulled it up. And
0: so the cast is in front of me, including William H. Macy. And I'm just like staring (laughs) at him and I hate him so much. I hate him so much. (laughs) But the storylines for each of these kids who have grown up in deep, deep dysfunction, they talk about mental illness. They talk about sexual identity. They talk about teen pregnancy. Um, Like, oh my gosh, there's so much real, real, realness packed into this. It is a dramedy, So there are very funny parts that you will literally laugh out loud about. And then there are parts that just break your heart. And so for years and years, you have been telling me, you guys have got to watch Shameless. I think you would like Shameless. Why haven't you watched Shameless yet? I stand corrected. It is really, if you can, if you can tolerate the grittiness if you can tolerate and I, I don't even like the word raunchy, but there is really no other word to describe <laughs> some of this show, the raunchiness, the storylines that play out over time and the character arcs, the way these characters grow, the things that they go through. Oh yeah. Oh, Dad it! Well, it's like so the youngest,
1: the youngest boy, um, yeah. grew up on the show
0: yes yeah Like, literally
1: actually grew up on the show like it's crazy yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: okay so that's shameless and you had archie so we're, we're really on the spectrum here <laughs> we are we are old oh lady flip-flops and the most <laughs> dirty show i've ever watched on tv there you have it guys oh gosh Okay. So those were some awesomes, but now Emily, let's go ahead and get started with your story. And this is going to be really me just like turning the mic over to you because again, you've been uh, sober for five years. So you've got, we've got a lot of ground that we can kind of cover. I do have some questions that I want to ask you. Okay. um, Questions that I genuinely have, and then questions that I know that people ask you, because we've just had conversations about how Um, you know, like socially and uh, those kinds of things, different questions that come up. But let's just kind of start with your story of uh, go back in time, take us back in time to some of the events and circumstances maybe that uh, presented some challenges to you in your life and then how the story unfolds from there.
1: Okay, so I do need to give a disclaimer before I start my story. If you are in recovery, if you're in NA or AA or any of the other programs, or you think maybe you need to, um, you know, check those out, anything I say is my personal perspective on recovery. And if you cannot reconcile anything that I say, um, either with your sponsor or any AA literature, then please, please uh, rely on that.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: totally. So, as you know... Couple things in the early two thousands. Early two thousands was a little difficult for me. It was a little
0: bit of a dark time. It was a it was a gritty time in your life, wasn't
1: it? Yes, it was definitely, definitely. So I got married right out of college. Let's see, this was two thousand two,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, a little bit over, I guess, like a year and a half later. Um, to use one of our favorite phrases, something bad happened in something. that marriage something real bad happened you guys something real yes. bad happened um i'm just gonna go ahead and say it yeah we're, um, we're amongst friends this is the inner circle this is yes, the trust tree for right sure. right this is the inner circle okay so he actually had an affair with he was an educator as well and he had an affair with um a freshman in high school mm-hmm. um so that uh unraveled pretty quickly and um we got divorced in like the the divorce was actually official in July of 2004. Okay. Um so that happened. Um and then, you know, I started to try to like move on and not really sure that I totally dealt with it. And then as you know, a couple years later Um, Our parents um, separated and actually officially divorced, and um, our mother came to live with us. This was when I was living in Katy, Texas. Yes. And for context for anybody
0: who doesn't know, um, uh, our mom has multiple sclerosis, which when we were growing up was the relapsing remitting variety of that, which means that for the most part, except for maybe a couple of weeks out of every couple of years, she was a totally normally functioning mom raised four kids. And then in 1997, she was in a very traumatic car accident and um, her body and brain never fully recovered from that. So by the time our parents divorced in 2006-ish range, Mm -hmm. um, she was wheelchair bound for the most part, couldn't drive, couldn't write. And uh, her health had made a significant decline. And so it wasn't like, when most people in their you know sort of 50s and 60s would have divorced like okay well i'm just going to go i'll keep the house you get the apartment you go take an apartment it was not like that she could not right. live independently is what i'm saying and that's why she right. went to live with emily in the houston area
1: yes yes so um that was difficult i didn't really know what i was taking on at the time you know i felt like and this goes back to so many issues i felt like it was my turn to step up because I was the only one out of all of us that didn't have kids now Sarah didn't have a daughter at the time but that just um yeah wouldn't have um worked so yeah that was um it was hard because I felt like I had two full-time jobs like I had the job of taking care of um our mother which you know just required a lot of work and then also uh, teaching full-time. So, so yes, you were teaching full-time. You were yes. being a
0: caregiver for our mother, and you were still genuinely, in the early years, coming freshly off a very traumatic yes. end to your marriage.
1: Yes. And I don't know if you remember this, but at the time, I was still Rush Advisor for Oh, yes. the University of Houston um, chapter of Chi Omega. I was That's still right. Rush Advisor, too. Yes. And so I had a lot on my plate. Um, yes. Right. So um over the course of having our mother live with me, I started taking sleeping pills to sleep at night. That's mm-hmm. really what all of this, you know, was that's how this all of this was started cuz I I had insomnia. I still to this day have bouts of insomnia. I just deal with it in a very different way. Yes. Um and so, you know, for a while like I just took a sleeping pill and then it was fine. <clears throat> One night, I took a sleeping pill and I stayed up and I loved how that made me feel. Okay. Because I was essentially getting high. Okay. Right. Just, you
0: felt maybe kind of floaty, like the the worries of the world were not worrying you then. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so for that moment in my life, that was my solution to all of the stress that I was going through. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And were these Um,
0: your prescription or? um,
1: At first I was taking some of our moms and then I decided to just go get my own. And so I started taking my own. Um, And then not too long after that, maybe less than six months, Mm -hmm. um, I started combining it with alcohol. Okay. And that made the effects even more intense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for a long time, now this... Next part is going to span over many years. So, as you know, some of our listeners know that our parents eventually, you know, got back together in 2009, got remarried, and you know, all of that stuff. And so, um, I was back to living on my own again. And um, so, for several years, this just kind of cycled. Um, I I wasn't um, like an everyday drinker, or I didn't, you know, take um, the pills every day. But I I would take it, I would do it as often as I could get a hold of of prescriptions. Um, So, you know, this just kind of happened. And I don't know, um, I don't know that you and I have ever talked about this. Like, when did you realize that there was something going on? Do you want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, that's fine. Um, You know, I had begun to have some suspicions because there would be conversations that we would have, especially in the evening. And the next day you would have no memory of that.
1: Yes. And
0: so I would be like, there's something, something's not right here. Right. Um, And then there were a couple of events that happened where, um, you know, maybe you were visiting or we were all together at my parents' house or something. And I could just really tell this that like you know you're not fully here with us right you know what I mean absolutely absolutely um and so and it was it was alarming because on the one hand I was you know your brain goes to like don't overreact I'm sure it's nothing like don't be suspicious (laughs) don't be suspicious (laughs) oh my gosh
1: (laughs) love it okay
0: (laughs) But really, I didn't want to, like, how do you say to somebody like, okay, you need to tell me what's up. Why are you on,
1: are you on drugs? (laughs) You on drugs? What's what you should have said? Are you on drugs? Well, I did have, we did have a a one.
0: I remember, I don't know if you remember this. I remember having one pretty confrontational conversation about it. Yeah. And I was in total denial. Yes. And you yeah. absolutely assured me, no, 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 nothing weird is going on. Absolutely not. And right. I I think you had some explanation for whatever. Right. Right. And I was just like, okay. But yeah, as as things progressed over the years, I could tell on my end that things were not right, that it, you were not your essential Emily self in, in some moments. But at the same time, we didn't live in the same town. We lived far away, you know, hours away from each other. And, um, so I was conflicted between, you know, really believing the, the the explanations that you were telling me. It also in my gut, just being like, this is not right. Right. So yeah, it was a really difficult, tense time. I feel Mm -hmm. like in Mm -hmm. our relationship.
1: Yeah. And I think that you were probably the one person in my life that could see through all my lies. Um, Mm. like that's just something that people do in addiction. They lie a lot. Um, Mm -hmm you know, I've talked to many people in the program that, you know, will tell me stories and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's, you know, like, that's so it's like, they're telling my story, you know, just um, with different circumstances. Um, and another thing is that I was just in denial. Like I myself was in denial about what I was doing, Mm. um, which I think, you know, is also pretty typical. Um, so, uh, you know, things just got worse. Like, There were some incidents um, that I really won't go into details about, but, you know, like I broke my ankle one time and I had excuses for what happened. Um, you know, I had an issue with, um, getting lost in my car, you know, like, and I have to deal with that right now, now that I'm even, even right now I'm five years sober and I still think about like, oh my gosh, I was driving, um, Mm, you know, and it's it's tail as old as time, you know, like it's just, yeah, it's hard. Um, yes. Yeah. So I guess, um, where in the story? Well, let's take it to 2014. Yes. Okay. 2014. Yeah. Um, so I had, um, gone, I had just gotten out of a relationship that was really toxic. Super toxic, everybody. Super toxic. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I had gone to our parents house in Mississippi for Thanksgiving. And I had actually taken some of, I found and taken some of mom's, um, like super, super powerful pain medication. Um, something that's like, I mean, it wasn't morphine, but it was up there with morphine. Okay. Yes. And so like I, and here's the deal, like, I don't know that it's totally a secret that like, you know, our parents, Especially our dad. It's he's a little hard to be around. And I I was there by myself. He's (laughs) a
0: little hard to be around, is the understatement of the year. And also remember (laughs) what
1: I said about us coming from a dysfunctional family. (laughs) Right. Absolutely right. Let's take the word little out of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't have any sleeping pills with me, but I found my mom's pain like crazy high-powered pain medication. So I took those. I think it's important to say for context
0: too, our parents both have a a number of health problems beyond even like my mom's MS causes a lot of side issue problems. Right. And then our dad has Parkinson's and diabetes and like, there's just like at any given time, this is, this is the truth, you guys, when they were living in Mississippi before they moved back to Oklahoma, which I know it's confusing. Our family's super confusing. Um, When they would travel here to Oklahoma to visit us, one entire carry-on bag of theirs was filled with their prescription bottles. Oh, yeah. They
1: they actually still have, I mean, they don't travel anymore, but like even last summer, their most recent travel, they had a whole suitcase of medication. Yes. Yeah. So if you are
0: looking for something, if you are prone to looking for something, you could go through my parents' prescription bottles and find basically whatever you were looking for. Oh, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I started taking that and then um, I survived Thanksgiving. Like that's how I felt like what I felt like I was doing. I was just surviving the holiday. And I started to drive back to Dallas. And when I got home, I didn't have any of the that medication left, those pills left. And I started to go through withdrawal really, really bad. Okay. And this was like the moment of truth. I knew that I needed help. I called one of my friends, um, you know, uh, she was kind of part-time working at my school at the time. And I didn't want to tell her everything because I was terrified that she was going to tell my principal everything I told her. Um, but she, you know, I told her, and, and this is true. I I said, I'm not suicidal, but I think it would be better if I was not alive. And so she kind of talked me into going to the ER and so I did and here's a little here's a little uh, piece of information that maybe not a lot of people know if you go to the ER and you tell them that like you're having suicidal thoughts or that you want to die guess what there's no wait time
0: yes exactly they take
1: you right back um they took everything from me they started you know going through all these questions they immediately brought in a you know a health um a mental health, you know, person to ask me all these questions and analysis and all that. And at the end of her evaluation, she recommended that I go ahead and go into um inpatient, some a mental health inpatient um facility. Mm-hmm. And I agreed. I made some phone calls. Um, did I call you?
0: No, but your friend did.
1: Your okay, friend, my friend did, yes. Your friend
0: texted me in the middle of the night, and then she called me the next morning and caught me up right. to speed right. on everything. Yes. So I mostly, yes. during this time, I mostly communicated with her, and she right. was sort of like the go-between.
1: Yes, yes. So um, in the middle of the night, or maybe it was early morning, they transported, transported me by ambulance to um, a mental health facility. That facility is now closed. Um, but I was there for, uh, I guess, probably three weeks. It was, it was at least two weeks. I feel okay. like I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was all like, I, the, like the day I got there, um, I just cried the whole day. Cause I mm-hmm. didn't know, like I had it in my mind that, um, mental hospitals were just like they, they show on like movies and TV oh, yeah. shows. Oh yeah. And it's so not like that. Um, like I was just relaying my experience with someone the other day and like, you know, the first part of, like, my first 24 hours um, of being there was really scary. But then I actually started to feel comfortable. I let down my guard. I started, like, dealing with, you know, my reality at the time. And then I actually really lo- started loving it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's there's group sessions. There's therapy. There's meeting with a psychiatrist. There's, um, like, arts and crafts and yes, and, um, outdoor time for, you know, physical yeah exercise edu- yeah exercise and stuff um so yeah so I uh you know interestingly I was still hesitant to call myself an addict or call myself an alcoholic um and and my therapist and my psychiatrist were kind of like okay enough is enough let's yeah let's start talking about AA or NA or whatever. And so when I got out um, two or three weeks later – so when you get out, you have to – you can't leave until you have – you have confirmed an appointment with a psychiatrist, an appointment with um, a therapist on the outside. Mm -hmm. And so I started seeing this therapist, and really, literally, like, I was in the hospital, and I was like, I don't know – I don't even know who to pick. And so they gave me, they printed off for my insurance. Like, here's what your insurance accepts. And so I started seeing this, um, this woman who was in AA and had been in AA for like 30 years. Yep. And through the course, through the course of, um, meeting with her for gosh, like six months. Yes. She like was like, okay, like you know, we're not really supposed to do this in a tell, tell people that you're an alcoholic, but Emily, like, you know, if it walks like a duck and quacks (laughs) like a duck, then, you know, that's what's going on here. And I don't know if you remember this, but from the time, so I got out um, of um, rehab or whatever you want to call it. Um, I got out in December, like right before Christmas, right before Christmas. Yes. And then like, I tried the whole, like not drinking until yes. June.
0: Six months. I was gonna say, don't let's don't skip over this part of the story. Right, right, right. I think it's right. really important to say that there was a span of time that was the only word I can re, really say for it, it was so fragile for you. Oh yeah. From December to June. So fragile, um, so difficult. Yeah, really dark. You were trying you had it was like you had begun to really give yourself permission, both through your stay at the inpatient um, facility and then also in therapy to like dig into a lot of the issues that ignited and, you know, got kind of put you on the path towards addiction, but you were like doing it completely on your own. Yeah. Trying yeah. to do it on your own. And and it was a very fragile time, I would say. Well,
1: it was a horrible idea. Um, you know, this is, this is definitely not AA approved, but I do say this quite often. So If you have, if you think you have a drinking problem and you stop drinking and your life gets better, you probably didn't really have a drinking problem. If you stop drinking and your life gets worse, you may have a drinking problem. Mm, And what I mean by that is once you take the alcohol away, once you take what your solution is away you don't have anything. You don't have anything right. to cope with. You don't have anything to numb your feelings anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you're just left with your feelings and no solution on how to deal with them. And that's exactly what I was doing for those six months. Yeah. Um, so on the last day of school in 2015, I was, and you know this, I was determined to leave my school. Mm-hmm. I was determined that everyone hated me, especially my principal, um, I was leaving. I was gonna look for another job. I actually packed up my car with all of my stuff.
0: Oh my gosh, I didn't know that.
1: I did. I actually packed up my car with all of my personal stuff, and I was like, "I'm getting the heck out of this school." And I got home, and I was so I had thought for some strange reason I had thought that like by the time the last day of school had you know had come that I would have found another job. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I was so mad that I got drunk. Okay. And that was like on a Thursday or a Friday, I had Mm -hmm. therapy with, um, Kathy on Tuesday and she was like, enough is enough. And she called this girl Mm -hmm.
0: in the middle
1: of our therapy session. Yep. And that girl has been my sponsor for the past five years. Yes, it's true. So
0: Yeah. That's really good. You know, one thing, and I know you're going to share some things from um, from AA that have been really meaningful to you. And I know yeah. one of the phrases that um, is really strong in the AA community is expect a miracle. Yes. And I just like look back on truly, it, you the, you could have looked at and picked any therapist right. off of that sheet right. of providers that your yes. entrance paid for. Yes. And it happened to be a woman who herself was in AA. That was exactly what you needed. It was the missing link in your true and profound recovery. It's such a miracle. It gives me chills every time. I love it. Yep. Okay. So June, 2015, yes. you start AA. Based on, here, I'm going to just ask you some questions as we right. kind go through. So all of us have seen depictions of either AA or some kind of 12-step program on TV or in movies and those types of things. What were you expecting when you went to your very first AA meeting? And what was the reality?
1: Um, okay. I was expecting it to be very serious. Um, okay. I was expecting it to be like the movies. Yes. And I went to a noon meeting with, um, like I said, the the girl that would eventually become my sponsor. And um, it, it was a really like, popular meeting like everybody knows about this meeting and you know it's it's actually so big that there are two meetings side by side um in two different rooms separated by a window by just like a window in the room um and all of these women and men were there and they were laughing Mm. and they were making jokes about their drinking Mm -hmm. and they were just like loving life and catching oh like I saw your Facebook post look at your grandkids you know like mm-hmm. it was just like such an instant community and and at that moment I felt like just the weight of the world like oh my gosh like I can do this like these people are gonna accept me yes. um god it was just and that's the group that I you know ended up getting sober um sober at. And you know, I picked up a, a 24-hour chip. A 24-hour chip is um kind of a outward symbol of an inward desire to try their way of life for 24 hours and um not take a drink for 24 hours. And uh man, um that group will always hold a very, very special place in my heart because that's, you know, where my journey started. So yes,
0: totally. Okay. Yeah. So you're expecting like really somber and like people you know, telling really hard things, which I'm sure right. does right. happen. Oh, absolutely, meetings.
1: absolutely, yes. But when yes. you
0: walked in, it was maybe almost like walking into like a church group where everybody's like laughing and hi, how are you, and absolutely. those types of things. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yes. So you connected with the community aspect right. of AA right. really strongly first. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay, so you started in June 2015 and you picked up your 20, 24 hour chip. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what that first year of sobriety looked like for you, because this is, you know, like it's, it's great that you found a community and it's great, you found a place to belong, but you, Emily, are still the person who had to show up and do the work of getting sober every single day. So what was the first year like?
1: Um, the first year was really hard. I will tell you that the first two or three months, I think I cried every day. Okay. Um, I cried to my sponsor every day and my sponsor is amazing because like, she's really good about, Having that balance between like being a compassionate sponsor, but then also giving me tough love and telling me what I need to hear.
0: Yeah. Your sponsor can say things to you and ask you questions that yeah. I couldn't get away oh, yeah. with.
1: Absolutely. Like if I asked Absolutely. you it'd shut down and
0: be like, you mind your own business, <laughs> but, but your sponsor could ask you these things and you're like, well, let me tell you everything.
1: <laughs> That's so true. And she knows that too. Yes. Like, oh my gosh. Oh my yes. gosh. Um, so I, uh, I needed to move like right after like my lease was up and I was looking for an apartment and like it, it was almost like the end of the world, like trying to find an apartment I could afford. I obviously, like most people in AA, when they get sober, they have a lot of financial difficulties. I was right there. I had, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of debt and stuff. And, um, you know, my spot, I don't even know what she said to me, but she was like, quit crying, find a place and we'll figure it out. Um, you know, and so like, I felt like every little thing (laughs) that I, you know, had to tackle, like I had to learn how to do it in a new way. Right. Um, because I didn't have like something like a bet, something in the back of my mind, like to go to, like, I can't you know, at the end of apartment hunting, you know, take a drink or go buy, right. you know, a couple of bottles of wine, or in my case, like five big bottles of liquor, you know, like, mm-hmm. so like the first, you know, the first year I didn't listen to country music anymore.
0: Okay. Interesting. Cause it's, there's so much talk about drinking right? and yes. getting drunk and those types yes. of things. So in your first year then of recovery, did you feel like you were really pretty sensitive to anything that would trigger? Oh my gosh. Yes. Did that affect like your social life? Did you feel like in that first year, maybe you really spent more time with your AA family because at least you knew it was a safe space. Like nobody was going to be drinking there. Right.
1: Absolutely. That's what I did. I just clung to my sober family, um, which were just like a really amazing group of women. Um, I didn't listen to country music. I didn't go out with friends who I knew drank. I was for sure not telling them that I didn't drink anymore mm-hmm. um there were times at lunch at school when two of my good friends would talk about they were like wine connoisseurs, and they would talk all the time about like, Have you tried this wine? Have you tried this bar blah 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 and I just kind of like slowly stopped eating lunch with them because I just couldn't do it like I just mm-hmm. it was just too too bothersome and too hard. um I will tell you that like so The twelve, the twelve steps, which is like the the bread and butter of our program, um, it usually takes like I don't know less than six months. It took me so long to go through the steps, and I remember it was like um, so. I got sober on June sixth of twenty fifteen. It was like October or November, and I had not been through all of the steps yet. Mm -hmm. And one day, and I just was I was putting off the fourth step, which is really like the hardest part of all of the steps. And my sponsor called me and she was like, if you're not going to finish the steps, you need to find a new sponsor. And I was like, what? Oh, dang. What? What? Okay, I'm doing it. I'm because,
0: coming over. Because your sponsor, this is something I didn't realize about uh-huh. AA at all. Your sponsor actually works through the steps with oh, you. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Like you, you refer all the time to doing some step work with yes. your sponsor. I thought... And again, this was just my understanding from pop culture. I thought, okay, there's the 12 steps and they like hand it to you and then you're on your own
1: and you work through it on your own. But your
0: sponsor is really engaged with you as you work through the 12 steps.
1: right? And there's also like, um, a format for everything. Um, so yeah, you, you invest in some good journals and, um, you write about it. Um, you talk about it, you pray about it. Um, and then, you know, like. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very much a partnership very mm. much. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So you get to work, you get
0: real serious about working through the steps as painful yes. as it is, but yes. it, it was painful, but was, were there parts of it that were also maybe liberating or encouraging, or is it mostly really hard work?
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, right. So let's talk just for a minute. I want to talk about step four. So step four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Hmm. So, like, that's the step that people relapse on because Ooh. you're talking about, like, everything, like, every person who has wronged you, what they mm-hmm. did, what it affected, and then you have to go back and talk about what your part in that whole situation was. Okay. And you have to do that with literally everything you can remember. Oh, man. Yeah. That
0: feels pretty invasive, It honestly. is. <laughs> it really
1: is. Um, yeah. So yes, that was a really hard step, but also like afterwards, um, I felt so much better just saying out loud all of the stuff I had done, all of the bad stuff I had done or the bad thoughts that I had that I was holding on to. Um, and so after the fourth step, it is highly recommended that you go alone somewhere. You, you sit in quiet for an hour, you pray, you meditate. And so I did that. And mm-hmm. Like, I felt like just years of stress and anxiety and, you know, old ways of thinking and all of that. Like, everything that had happened with my divorce and our parents' divorce, like, just, like, it just, my shoulders were up at my ears and they went down.
0: Mm. Yes, so. absolutely. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So do you remember then when you actually got through the 12th step? Was it still in 2015? Was it in 2016? It was, it was in
1: late 2015. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um. Yeah. So the first year was definitely rocky. Um you know, and now it's, you know, been five years and there's still times, like if I know that, you know, someone at school is holding a happy hour or something, I won't go like, right. and it's not the, it's not the drinking. Like I can be around friends now that drink. It's so not a problem, but when it starts to get a little rowdy, yeah, it's exactly. hard. It's not yeah. hard. Cause I'm like sitting there judging people. It just brings back some bad stuff. Sure. So, exactly. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, Wait, I had a question. What was I going to
0: say? So you finish the step work. Oh, and I know too that sometimes when hard things come up and you and some bad feelings come up, you'll even say like I need to do some some step work with my sponsor. I need to talk to, I really just need to talk to my sponsor about this. So it seems like yes, you work through the 12 steps for the first time, but then it's not like you just put it on the shelf and you're like, "Well, I'm glad I did that." Oh,
1: yeah. No. No, <laughs> not back and at all. You
0: revisit the process as often right. as you need to. Right. So when, when things happen.
1: So um, 10, 11, and 12 are, are steps that you do on an ongoing basis. Okay. Um, so, you know, if, if resentments come up, no, I shouldn't say if, I should say when, when, when. resentments come up because mm-hmm. um, resentments are like the number one reason why we drink mm. um, when they come up, we, we need to talk about it with our sponsor. We need to write about it, talk about our part, you know, and get over that hump of that resentment. Um, so 10, 11, and 12 are a daily thing. Like when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. Mm. Um, you know, so that's something that we do every day. Like I, even if I just write like a sentence or two in my journal, it's something, you know, that's, that's an ongoing thing. Okay. That's so good. Yeah. Okay. Now I know you mentioned
0: that, um, in the beginning it was really hard for you to be around people that drink. Yes. Then, Eventually you began to be more comfortable. Obviously, people in your family knew that you were in recovery. Yeah, yeah. Um, that you were in an A. But as you began to tell friends, did you see some dynamic change happen as you began to trust this to people? And now that you're many years into it, right. do you feel a little bit more casual about it? You're just do you just say, like, oh, I'm sober? And then does does that make people feel weird? Do you feel weird? Like, tell me what the how the dynamic has changed through the years.
1: Well, okay. So I'm gonna tell you one story. Um I like soon after I got sober, like I started just taking better care of myself and I started going back to the dentist and I needed s- quite a lot of work done. Cause I hadn't been like when our dad retired, it was really hard for me to go see someone that wasn't our dad. Cause yeah, I know. I, I agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so like, I needed a lot of work done and you know, I wrote on my intake forms that I was sober and I was probably like six months in and the doctor was looking at my paperwork and he was like, oh, how so, how, how long have you been sober? And I was like six months. And he gave me the look like, oh dear God, like oh, that's no. not very long. Yeah. And I think that he was trying to ask me if he, if I wanted some pain medication, which you know, the answer would have been no. And it's still today would be no, like I'll take ibuprofen and Tylenol and, you know, get on with my life. But he kind of cringed when I told him six months, like he was like, oh. Man, like like it wasn't very much time, but to me in my mind Yeah, you were like, hell yeah, I've been sober for six months. Yes. (laughs) So long. Yes. So yeah. So that was kind of interesting. But like
0: friendship wise, in the beginning, I'm sure that it was a big thing to really trust that to someone. Do you feel like now you're a little bit more casual about it, or do you still have to be really careful about who you say this to?
1: Um, you know, I I do want to be very careful when it comes to um, like students' parents.
0: Oh, sure. I know that a big part of the reason that you didn't really want to, well, first of all, AA is very much about anonymity, of course, right? right. But I know that a big part you didn't want to, a big reason you don't really talk about on the on the main show is because it, it can affect a professional, you know, right, view on right. things. Yes,
1: yeah. So that's really um, that's really what I'm most uh you know, kind of secret not secret, but like private about. Um I will tell you that my boss knows. Um when he when he started working at my school, I was like a year or two sober. And um Mm -hmm. I told him and he was like, wow. And he wanted to know more. There's actually a whole chapter in our big book. Um Mm -hmm. it's it's called the the big book of alcoholics anonymous. Uh there's a whole chapter that says to the employer. Um and it's just really amazing. And so um, you know, I just let him know like, hey I'm too Whatever you're sober, and uh, you know he was interested, and you know asked some questions, and um, you know so. Yeah. When
0: when you tell a friend, and then they act weird about drinking, you've kind of told me this before. Like because Kyle and I, although we have really cut back for health reasons recently, we have certainly enjoyed some drinks around you. And, you know, in the beginning I felt weird about it. And then if like friends feel weird about it, you've told me that it kind of is almost annoying because you maybe feel like they perceive you as being so fresh into sobriety that if you see somebody drink a glass of wine, you'll immediately have to start drinking again.
1: Yes. I, (laughs) I have been treated with little kid gloves for so long. Like people were, if I told them that I was sober, they were like terrified to drink around me or right. like I remember um, early on in my sobriety, I was out to dinner with a friend um, and she ordered a beer and she was like, are you not going to drink? And I was like, no. And then she asked again and she was like, how come you're not drinking? And I was like, well, I'm sober. And this was probably a year or two in. And she was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like I'm drinking a beer in front of you. And I was like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's <laughs> not a big deal. Um, yeah. you know, here's a story from about, I want to say two years ago, um, we, you and I, and, um, some family members were, uh, back in our college town mm, Yeah, and, um, at dinner when we had some family friends with us. And, um, uh, so I'm going to talk about a family member and this person never drinks like ever, ever, ever. And they decided to, um, have a beer with dinner and, um, all of a sudden, like they made this huge deal. They were like, Oh my gosh. And by the way, I was three years sober at the time. Right? They like, oh my gosh, I forgot you were sober. <laughs> and, and made this huge deal about calling the waitress back over, canceling the beer. And oh, not that, oh, that's so embarrassing. Yes, that ordeal. And then they decided to tell the family friend that I was sober, and decided to tell the waitress that I was sober. And oh that my gosh. was like so. It was just like the drama of it It was like, just drink the Uh, beer. I don't care.
0: Yes. Oh Oh. my gosh. Not good. Not good. Not good. Okay. Well, I know you have some things from the big book from your journey that you've learned that you just wanted to share. And I will say this too. There have been so many things that you have shared with me through the years that you've learned in the community, in your step work, in just the practice of sobriety that I'm like, you know, I actually think probably everyone needs to go to
1: AA. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, um, like a lot of therapists have to read this book and go through the steps. I mean, obviously outside of the context of alcoholism, but it teaches you the steps in the book, teach you how to live a life with purpose yeah, and totally. humility. Like it's so much mm-hmm. about humility because every time, You are wronged by someone, you have to talk about like what you did. Yes. Um, So yeah. It seems like there's
0: a lot of like taking ownership for your stuff. Absolutely. I mean, certainly acknowledging the outside circumstances that have happened to you. We don't, not right. Like so many things that we find ourselves in that are hurtful are not because we chose it or we did it to ourselves. Um, There's outside forces that, you know, like your divorce and, you know, all kinds of things. But at the same time, then both, it seems like it's both acknowledging the hurtful things that have happened to you and also acknowledging your role in your response or your coping mechanism
1: or those things through the years. Right. Right. Um, so let's talk about um, some stuff in the big book. Um, so this book was actually written, I think the first draft of it was written in like 1938. Oh, wow. Um, it was written by um, Bill W. And I think that he was about just like um, three years sober, three and a half years sober. And then um, another w- contributor was Dr. Bob, who was an actual doctor, who had had uh, a little bit less than three years of sobriety. And um, there's been many, you know, like not necessarily rewrites, but just kind of like updates and, sure, um, sure, sure, sure. you know, it's really cool. Um, I love, I love the history of AA and every year um, we have this big conference in Dallas and it's called the gathering gathering of eagles and they have like a like an esoteric room. I don't know what you would call it. It's like a it's a room where like all of these old artifacts are and you could see like all of the first versions um mm. of the big book. And it's just like really, really neat to um yeah. to really get into the history of it. But um so a couple things that are um you know really worth mentioning are that, um, we see alcoholism as an allergy. Um, you know, if you think about like, if you're allergic to bee stings and you get stung, you know, you're going to have an adverse reaction. That's really what it's all about is having an adverse reaction to that bee sting. You know, maybe, maybe you need to go to the ER, maybe you need to carry an EpiPen with you, um, You know, like if you're lactose intolerant and you eat a big old bowl of ice cream, some bad things are going to happen to your tummy. Yes. Um, So, but, you know, if you're not lactose intolerant, you can just have some ice cream and go on with your life. Right. Um, so with alcoholics, um, you know, it's truly an adverse reaction to, to alcohol. Um, there's also another, a couple of things. Um, there's the phenomenon of craving, um, people who are not alcoholics don't really crave alcohol. You know, but that's definitely um, a reality for alcoholics is that they crave Mm it. Um, You know, if they try to stop drinking for a certain amount of time, short term or long term, they will have cravings. Um, And then there's the mental obsession. Mm. And I can identify with that so much. Like when I was, um, you know, abusing prescription drugs and drinking alcohol. And a lot of people ask me this question. Was it the pills or was it the alcohol? And this is what I always say it was always both. It was like Mm -hmm. pills in one hand, a drink in the other. Right. It was never just one, just Mm -hmm. one thing. Um, so, uh, I don't know where I was going with this, but, um, the mental obsession. Yes. Yes. I mean, I would count down the days, Megan, to when I could get my prescription filled again. Mm, Um, like it was that bad. I would even try to get it early and the pharmacist would be like, no, you can't get it early. You shouldn't be out yet. Like it was just, I mean, it was crazy, ridiculous. Um, There is a part. So the big book, the first 164 um, pages are about, um, you know, the program and then the rest, the second two thirds of the book is personal stories um, by people who have um, been in the program. But on the last page, I do want to read um, something that inspires me every time I read it. Okay. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize that we only know a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something that you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Why are you doing this to me? Oh my gosh. That makes me cry every time I hear it. Every time I read it, like, oh my gosh, this is such a gift of life.
0: Yeah. It absolutely is. It really, I mean, that's such a beautiful benediction for that book because it really speaks to the fact that the AA community is about two things. It's about your individual work. You are the only person who can work those steps. You are the only person who can get yourself to a meeting when you need to get to a meeting. You are the person who's making the daily decision, daily, sometimes hourly decision that you're going to be sober. And also, there's a whole community of people walking on that path with you. Right. So as opposed to that six-month really dark period when you were trying so hard to do this on your own – You have this community of people who totally empathize, totally understand. They're going to hold you accountable. They're going to cheer you along the way. And you're also cheering them on their way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's just really beautiful and so, so, so powerful. So, oh my goodness, we better (laughs) go ahead and wrap up before we start crying (laughs) some more. Right. Um, Emily, thank you so much for telling this story and trusting your story to this community. Um,
1: Yes. Thank you for asking me to.
0: Yeah. I feel like our superstars community is a place where we all can share the real stuff of life. Um, this is, I feel like this story of your sobriety and of the role AA has played in it is such a beautiful picture of truly what sort of awesome is about is about finding the awesome in daily stuff, even though some of this daily stuff is really hard. Right. Yeah. Um, so thank you for trusting that to us.
1: Oh yeah. Good. I'm glad.
0: All right. Well, superstars, I know that you all may have some follow-up questions for Emily. Of course, she's super active in the superstar hangout group and, um, you can reach out to her there. Um, so we can have follow-up conversation on this, but you guys, again, thank you for your support and thank you all for being a community where we can trust these sort of spicy topics to you. So, yes. all right, you guys, thanks for listening. Emily, thank you again. Thank you. All right. We'll see y'all next time. Bye-bye.